Hi guys and welcome back to Perspective. It's your girl Trinity aka Sahara Bay and today we have a very very special guest, a phenomenal woman. It is Miss Jessica Holler. Hi, how are you? Hi Trinity, how are you? I'm doing great. So we can jump right in. Can you please share a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up? What's your favorite color? Do you drink tea or coffee in the mornings? Yeah, I um Trinity, I grew up in Manhattan in New York City. I was a child of the 70s and 80s. Um, I get my day started with a nice cup of cold brew, uh, but definitely drink tea herbal all day long. So I guess <laughs> I I do it all. Um, I, yeah, I'm a city kid. Um, I live now in the Bronx. I always say I always stay along the one train. The one train is my, <laughs> my spine and my lifeline. Um, now I'm a mom of four, uh, ages 10 to 20, um, and I'm married. My husband's an ophthalmologist in Queens, so we're very New York City-centric um, people. And I've been through three different career uh, changes. I think that um, we're always you always need to be looking around and seeing how you can use your powers for good in the world and focus on not so much what you're doing right now, but what you can, how what you're doing now can help you do next. Mm, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I also, I love music. It's something that I actually mm-hmm. kind of moved to New York for in a way, in a oh. sense. So, you know, with that being said, I believe that the music we listen to says so much about who we are. So what's on your playlist? What songs get you going in the mornings and get you through tough times? So I love that question because I'm so bad with music. Um, (laughs) And music is such a big part of our house. Um, All four of my children and my husband are really into music, a musical theater specifically. Uh, So they all sing, play instruments, and I just listen and watch and Mm -hmm. love it. Um, So uh, I love classic rock. So I always do my rock stations um and now that you have you know we sort of have these you know spotify and all that i do we do a lot of musical theater listening i love that i love musical theater (laughs) i used to do theater when i was little so yeah i i can definitely relate to that so a little bit now more about yourself i know you serve as the executive director of the new uh majority new york city what led you to this role and how does it fulfill your quench to pursue real change in our city? I love that question. Um, I ran for office myself. I mentioned I've been through a few career changes. Um, I started in technology. I was working in tech and data. And then I did a mid-course correction to focus on climate change, the climate crisis, uh, equity, resilience, and sustainability, and how it relates to the way we use our planet and our people. Um, and I ran for New York City Council as a candidate in the 2021 cycle, um, announcing my campaign in January of 2020, just six weeks before the pandemic um, hit my kids' school, which was the first in the country to shut for COVID. Wow. So all that is to say, I ran for council and did not win. I lost in a special election in March of 21. And at that time, this organization called 21 and 21, which was exclusively focused on bringing 21 women into the New York City Council to achieve gender parity and authentic representation in New York City government. 
um, did not have an executive director. I had been endorsed by the organization and supported. Mm -hmm. um, I had been given a mentor from the organization and really considered many of the women on the board to be my mentors. And there was no one running the organization. And it was three months until the June uh, 2021 primary, and they needed someone to drive the ship. So I, coming from being a candidate, understanding exactly what the women who were running needed, and mind you, they had endorsed 74 women, wow. in 35 districts using ranked choice voting, um, needed support. So I stepped in. Um, lo and behold, we came out of the 2021 cycle with 31 women seated in the New York City Council out of 51 seats. Wow. So, yeah, it's amazing. We are by far the largest city to have achieved gender parity with over 60% of the councilors women. Um, we're the largest city, and this is the first time ever we call it her story. We made her story. It's yes. a first <laughs> event. And I... You know, when I was a kid, my grandmother, who also lived near us um, in Manhattan, was the baker. She used to put the cookies in the oven and then ask my grandfather to take them out. And he would take the cookies out and then tell everyone he baked them. <laughs> and I, you know, just because he took them out when the timer went ding on the oven. Um, I really feel like I was lucky to, to be the person to take these cookies out of the oven. There was a long um, road of women and organizations supporting women and democratic reforms in our city um, that exist to help get us to the point where we could, you know, have these cookies in the oven and I could just take them out way, way, way yeah. at the end. Um, and now we're continuing the work. So, you know, I'm executive director of the new majority NYC because we've rebranded. 2021 is over. And now it's a question of how do we maintain the majority moving forward so that 21 becomes the year that we achieved it. I love that. You know, something that I've learned being in a leadership position is that it's not just running for a seat um, in office, but it's also maintaining relationships with the people that you're working for and the people that you're working with and uh -huh. making sure that you, you know, fulfill promises made you know during campaigns and everything so with that being said i wanted to ask you how you how do you i guess how do i word this in this new climate of so many women in office what changes do you see do you feel the impact not just in legislation but in day-to-day yeah, and I think um, if you look around the city, things are starting. So th things are starting to change, and there are a couple of areas where we see it. Um, first of all, in the chamber itself, from what I hear from our our women um, council council members in office today, um, there is a greater desire to work together to listen. Um, to listen and to come together and to find solutions. Also, the solutions that we come up with, with as a city, I'm gonna quote Althea Stevens, who's a council mm -hmm. member of the Bronx, um, who said, when women do it, they think about everybody. Right? Mm -hmm. All, there are fewer unintended consequences when you have a woman 
um, coming up with the legislation. We're also able to quickly come together. So for example, in this, during this council's tenure, we had the Supreme Court, you know, pull down Roe v. Wade and our city was able to come together super quickly um, to A, set aside funds to protect, set aside funds for abortion and access um, and also protect rights of people coming to our city um, and within our city. So you see, you see more getting done. We have, you know, whether it's the first lactation room ever in City Hall, uh, because we have our, our city council speaker is both a mother and a grandmother. Um, and we have multiple councilwomen in office who are nursing their young children, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you have things like that changing. And then you also have more policies. Look, the city council regulates how we interact with our city as, as citizens of New York. Um, so you see that and feel that when you have women in leadership positions. That is so beautiful and honestly so inspiring. I know for a lot of the girls that I mentor, they listen to this podcast and I tell them all the time that they can always, always be a part of the decisions that are being made in their community, even and especially in being a woman. And so I know that this will be so inspiring for them to hear. Um, So a little bit about myself. I'm a senior at and the student body president of the Harbor School on Governor's Island. And I'm a part of the Marine Biology Research Program and Harbor Seals. So can you speak? I know you have a history in climate activism and things of that yeah. nature. So can you speak to the intersection of environmental protection laws and then in civic science and environmental restoration efforts? Uh, I love that. Um, we are never going to get where we need to go on call it resilience and sustainability until everybody sort of knows where we have to go. Mm-hmm. So I see there's a continuum. I, I think about it as education leads to action, leads to advocacy. And um, intersection of the protection laws and civic restoration efforts, civic science, environmental restoration efforts, when where does um, public policy regulation and legislation come into play most importantly? As a rule, laws, regulation, and public policy come into play when civil society fails and when market forces fail. Mm. What do I mean by that? We actually needed, and this came, I remember when I was a kid, this was a new law. Buckle up. It's the law, mm. right? You need to order belt, right? Why? Because civil society failed at making sure everybody was wearing a seatbelt. You would not drive anywhere today without a seatbelt, right? Because your car is going to beep and your mom is going to tell you to buckle up and your friends are going to tell you to buckle up. And it's the first thing you have to do when you get in the car. But it used to not be that way. Right. Um, And there were no financial incentives to have you buckle up, even though deaths from car accidents were costing society so much, so much, so much money. So laws had to step in um, to fix those broken systems. I believe that we need, we do need in our city particularly laws to step in where we are failing on environmental restoration. And when I think about climate, 
um, and what's coming down in the next 10 years, I think about it in three ways. Uh, there's sustainability. There's is what we're doing today literally sustainable, right? Am I using up all my natural resources? Am I, do I have, um, you know, access to clean air, clean water, all that? Are we resilient? And I think that's what you're talking about here with restoration efforts, right? Sea level is going to rise. What happens in our coastal communities, right? Um, what happens in communities where there are fewer trees when it is 10 and 15 degrees hotter because of the heat island effect in, in the city? Right? So where is our resilience and how do we improve our resilience? And then the last, um, the last, but by no means least, probably the most important is the equity piece, right? Which is how do all, both of those things interact, intersect with who's resilient and who's sustainable and how our city, for example, is rolling out, you know, uh, you, you know, efforts on either to the people who need it most um, and the people who are most vulnerable. Yes. Yes. Beautiful answer. We talk about this all of the time in class. Who mm. who will get the receive the impact the most from what's to come in the next decade or so? Who will who will face what climate change truly looks like first? Because so often people um I guess maneuver in an out of out of sight, out of mind mentality and they don't they don't even realize that they are witnessing and feeling the effects of climate change. Today, uh -huh. I went outside without a coat on in the middle of December. There's there's something so wrong. And I don't think that as a nation or even as a city that we're doing the most that we possibly can to make sure that we are being sustainable and making sure that sustainability is accessible for everyone. And so for me, that's something that I truly want to work on. But it was so interesting uh, hearing your take. I was uh -huh. wondering if you have any ideas of how we can level the playing field and make sustainability a possibility for anyone who wants to do their part in supporting our Earth's climate and protecting ourselves and protecting our home. We only have one Earth. Yeah, I am. Um, look, doing what we need to do is accessible to anybody. For me, it's a question of education and priority. Um, I, I actually think it's a myth to think that only people with wealth can make the decisions, right? It's not a question of buying bamboo thing or whatever, right? Like, it's not a question of spending more. Um, it's actually often a question of, of doing less or being mindful of what it is that we are doing. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the equity in these decisions is making it, I go back to public policy because for me, it's not about, it, it, the conversation needs to not be about wealth, but needs to be about mind space and head space. So if you are worried, if you are juggling three jobs and your kid is, you know, has a disability in school and you have to help them with homework and your mother is, you know, is getting older and you're, you know, you're a sandwich and you're, you're dealing with so much. Um, you don't have the headspace to make the decisions that are resilient and sustainable. 
So that's where I see as our government needing to step in to make these decisions for us. So for example, right, we recently outlawed in the last bunch of years, CFLs, sorry, not sorry, incandescent light bulbs, excuse me, were outlawed, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because such better alternatives first with CFLs and now with LEDs. So the government steps in, creates the market, and now this is how, when you buy a light bulb, you don't have to think and make these choices. And oh, by the way, if you bought the incandescent, your electricity bill would be 10 times higher, right? So like, right, it's helping you. Um, I'll give you another example. Okay. Thank, thank you, Mayor de Blasio in New York City for instituting meatless Mondays in school. I don't know if you had experience with that as yeah. a kid school. How was that? I like it. I actually bring lunch to school, but I know for a lot of the students that are in my student body, they love it. They are on those lunch lines every day, right there all the time. So I yeah. feel like it is is definitely making an impact on students' lives and making it known that um, being vegan or practicing, I guess, healthy and sustainable, you know, forms of food yeah. yeah it's doable so yeah i think that it was a really cool program and decision so my question always was and i think mayor adams went in this direction but my question always was why meatless mondays why not flip the default that you only have meat on mondays and four days a week you don't have meat Right. And if I'm moving towards if we know that it is not sustainable, that 10 years from now, we will not be able to sustain the amount of meat that is being eaten in Western countries across this planet. then why don't we just start right now? You know, and and, and pull it out. So I, I think about flip, flipping the default. Um, yeah, it's a lot less expensive to feed, you know, a family and a school with non-meat products than with the meat products. So flip the default and use those opportunities to help um, fund and enable uh, more difficult and challenging decisions. You know, I often talk about this and I think what it is is a cultural thing, right? So, so often are we, as Americans in general, we're used to having this idea of what healthy food looks like or what mm -hmm. A meal is supposed to look like and often mm -hmm. that includes meat for so many people and uh -huh. so when we flip the switch and we make things look different it makes people so uncomfortable and uh -huh. so I think what we do especially in policy and when we're making decisions for a group of people is doing things slowly and incubating people and kind of getting people used to the idea of changing things I know I remember there was a Juneteenth um, event for Mayor Adams um, this year. And uh -huh. all of the food options were vegan. And a uh -huh. lot of people were upset by this because they're not used to having an event or, or any social gathering where there's no meat. And so uh -huh. it's these situations where culturally, as people in general, we're not used to... And like you said, a lack of education of what sustainability looks like, I definitely think is a is a problem. But I think that people in general are, in general are conditioned to believe that sustainability is for a certain group of people, or that it's, or even when we see what sustainability looks like on TV or on media ads or 
when it's being sold to us by corporations, it's always something that feels like a luxury rather than... The subway is the most sustainable thing we have in New York City. I agree. Public transportation. Hmm? Public transportation is really... Public transportation, right. Exactly. Right? Public transportation. So, so, uh, you know... There's so many ways, but that's why I think that you need, that's why I think that you need public policy to step in and guide the decisions in the markets so that we are doing all this equitably. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so you said before that you ran for city council. Do you see yourself Uh running for public office in the future or are you comfortable in the change that you're making in your current position? Mm, That's a great question. Um, I don't see myself right now. um, I'm not working on any plan to run at any foreseeable future moment. Um, I do believe, though, that we never know what the future holds. Um, I think, you know, you and all your listeners ask women, you know, to run Mm -hmm. for office, right? Go run, go support women who are running for office, who are thinking about running for office, support them with your energy, with your time, you know, support them by introducing them to friends and getting out the vote. Um, I I also know from experience that once you've run for office, um, people come to you more often um, asking you, you know, questions and, and opinions and to run. So, um, I'm never going to say never, uh, but it is not, it's not on the map right now. I hear that. I actually want to ask you for some advice. I know that you went through Columbia's master's program for environmental and science policy. Yes. I, I just applied to college, well, November 1st, and I get my results back in actually a week from today. So that's very exciting. But I'm also going to, I'm going to major in environmental science and public policy. So is there any advice you can give to students like myself who are applying to colleges and then in that field? Ah, I love it. I love it. Can I answer with a little story that you might find fun? Of course. Um, 2000. Seven, uh, 2007, I believe. Maybe it was early 2008. Sorry, 2007, January. Um, I was um, one of the first groups trained by Al Gore to give the slideshow from Inconvenient Truth. Wow. Um, something called the Climate Reality Project. I was one of the first uh, climate leaders. And I had a chance to have a one-on-one conversation uh, with the former vice president and ask him, I said, Mr. Gore, do you believe the environmental leaders of tomorrow need a degree to do the work that we want to do? Now, mind you, this was 15 years ago, right? right? Here you are. You're already the next generation. So he said a couple of things to me. Number one, he said, I'm going to give you the same advice I would give my daughters, which is unfortunately in our world, women always, you know, opt for the degree because your credentials will be questioned. So focusing on it and and having the major in environmental sciences is one thing. Another thing, which I I took to heart and then went went to Columbia to (laughs) see, but study it. Um, Another thing I learned from him was that when 
when man worked, walked on the moon, literally it was a man, but when capital <laughs> walked on the moon um, in the late 1960s, the average age of the engineers in the room uh, was, I believe, 27 years old, which means nine years older earlier when JFK issued his famous uh, goal, which is by the end of the decade, we will, you know, we will take a man to the moon and return him safely to earth. Those guys, because again, they were all men, um, were 19 years old. So you are right there. You're right in the moment of figuring out what it is you need to do so that by the end of this decade, we have a sustainable, equitable, and resilient city and planet. Um, and I would just look at that horizon and you know figure out what you need to do in the world and, and go do it. And when you get to school, there's so, you know, is it gonna be water or climate or air quality or toxic, you know, um, chemicals or food or, you know, whatever, on and on and on and on. There's so many opportunities and just look at the world that you want to create and go make it. That was so awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I See, I can tell you're a mom. That was such like a beautiful, inspiring mom answer. Yeah, that was so cool. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Trinity, anytime. You know how to reach me. Good luck. Of course. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.